Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Podcast, a back-of-house look at the planning and delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games, as told by the very people who organized them. I'm your host, Christian Napier, and I'm very excited to have our next guest, Kristen Hartley, join the podcast. I think it was last year we talked, Kristen, when I was in Tokyo, and you were working on a case study for the IOC. Is that right? That's correct. All right. So it's been a while. So thank you so much for taking the time. I see a lovely white door and wall behind you. It looks like you're joining from home. Is that right? I am at home. I'm in my home in Lausanne, Switzerland. Oh, I miss Lausanne terribly. (laughs) I miss Lausanne. It's a beautiful place. I love the views. It's really wonderful here. It's uh, beautiful today, sunny, warm, uh, perfect summer day in Lausanne. The mountains are very clear. (laughs) Oh, Yeah, just uh, stab that knife in my stomach and twist it a little bit more. (laughs) It's very reminiscent of Utah, though. It is, but I mean, come on, you're you got a view of Lake Geneva and then the French Alps on the other side of the lake. And I mean, it's just fabulous. It's just fabulous. Now, whereabouts in Lausanne? Um, I live really close to the Olympic Museum. My partner works for the Olympic Study Center, uh, and I'm here about once a month. We set up this home about a year ago, um, but I moved to Berlin for another job uh, just recently. So, All right. Well, I want to get to that in a minute. So you're in Puy? I'm in Puy, exactly. (laughs) Oh, beautiful. So very close to where the old IOC offices were before they moved to the new offices. Yep. Yep. Um, Spent a lot of time in the old offices when I was a student here. So, yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just a wonderful place. And so everything's so accessible. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Okay, so Berlin, what are you doing in Berlin? Well, after working for the World Academy of Sport, doing IOC kind of case study projects, I got a job as the operations director for the World Special Olympics Games, uh, which will take place in 2023. And how are the preparations coming along, particularly with all of this COVID craziness that's happening? Well, I think that we're pretty lucky because our event is fairly far away. We still have three years to go. Um, The only kind of hiccups we're finding from the operational standpoint is a lot of our venues and accommodation venues are still not up and running 100%. So a lot of the site visits that I've been on for about six months now, we are just now starting to get to our site visits. That's really the only thing. And we're only kind of working part-time in the office, part-time at home. So yeah. So a bit of a blend, right? You're trying to do some work in the office and work, work from home. Well, it sounds from, from uh, all indications that you guys are handling COVID a lot better than we are handling it here in the States. I mean, we're, we're having a bit of a struggle with it. Although I would say in the last few days here in Salt Lake, things have gotten a little bit better. We're seeing the trend go down. Uh, People are wearing the masks and social distancing. And so hopefully that that clears up before school starts and all the kids uh, get together. I'm keeping my fingers crossed for the U.S. My parents are in Florida, so that is quite the nightmare. Uh, Some states are doing well. Some states like Florida are not doing well. uh, And I feel really lucky to be kind of in between Switzerland and Germany where the numbers are still staying low, although there are some hot spots creeping back up in Europe. So we're keeping an eye on everything. Well, yeah, fingers crossed. Hopefully they can uh, put those little hot spots out and life continue on.
All right. Well, we've talked plenty about COVID. We don't need to talk about that anymore. <laughs> Why don't we talk about Salt Lake? One of my favorite topics. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad it's one of your favorite topics. It's certainly one of mine. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done this crazy podcast. So let's go back in time. Yeah. And my wife, she says, you always say, let's go back in time. So I need to say something else. But until I figure out a better thing to say, I'm going to say we're going to go back in time. So let's uh, let's look back at Salt Lake 2002. What were you doing before you joined the organizing committee? And just how did you find yourself working for SLOC? I was the recreation and kind of sports and yeah, all the other things that don't go into a hotel. <laughs> I ran the tennis shop at a hotel. I ran the spa. Uh, I, I managed all the kind of team building activities in the hotel. Um, so I worked at the Marriott, the Sawgrass Marriott Resort and Convention Center. And um, it was my, that was my actual first job. I interned there. I thought I was going to be hotel management all the way. Um, but I really loved the events and the corporate events that I was doing. Uh, and a friend of mine got on with Slock and called me and said, hey, you want to do something fun? <laughs> and I thought, oh, we went to college together. So what does that mean? <laughs> he said, you know, Slock is hiring all these positions. What, what do you think? And I said, well, I'm open to anything, you know, as a 20-something new newbie out of college. Um, and so that's how it, the ball got rolling. So you had a bunch of positions that were open. What did you end up applying for? I applied for a position in logistics. Um, actually, there were two positions in logistics. One was kind of a data specialist. And I, I thought, mm, that's not for me. And then one was a venue logistics manager um, or assistant venue logistics manager. So that's that's the route I went. They interviewed me for both jobs. And yeah. In August, I think, of 2001, I made my way out to Salt Lake City from Florida. <laughs> okay. Had you been to Salt Lake before? What was it like coming to Salt Lake City? I had not been to Salt Lake before. And being from Florida, I had not traveled very much. I w was in Sydney, not for the games, unfortunately, but I was doing my last semester in Sydney, Australia. So I was kind of getting a big feel for the Olympics and I was... You know, I thought, oh, how cool would that be? And I almost didn't come home from there. Um, but that was really my first foray into international travel. I hadn't traveled much around the United States. So coming to, I drove across the states through Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and then north. And the landscape was just, I mean, Salt Lake is so stunning when you drive into it and the mountains are so majestic. And I thought, okay, it's still warm. I'm okay. <laughs> the sun is shining. And for a long time, it was, I think it, it didn't snow for, for many, many months there, but I was just kind of in awe of it. And my first day going to the, to the headquarters downtown, I'd always worked for small places. And um, even though I worked in a big hotel, it wasn't a high rise, like our headquarters in Salt Lake. So I was kind of, you know, but you know, that girl in the city, <laughs> So. I love it. I, okay. So I got to go back. Yeah. You drive from Florida to Utah. Mm -hmm. How long did it take you to do the drive? 
Well, we started early. We started a couple of weeks early and kind of enjoyed. I went with my one of my best friends um, and he ended up flying back after he got me to Salt Lake. But we loaded up my pickup truck <laughs> with all my worldly possessions at the time and uh, headed west. And we stayed with different family members um, across the south, southwestern United States. And we camped, went to the Grand Canyon um, I think it took us 11 days, all in all. That sounds so awesome. Yeah. What an amazing was, way to start a job. Let's do a road trip to start our job. I think it's wonderful. I, you know, I, I don't know where that sense of adventure w- went to, but I thought I thought I was really, you know, kind of cool and adventurous back then. <laughs> well, that's definitely a cool and adventurous thing to do. Yeah. And it's interesting that you come here to Salt Lake and you think that it's stunning, of course, for us locals that have lived here or grown up here, we agree at the same time, we get used to it. And mm-hmm. so we think that the white beaches of Florida, the beautiful ocean, uh, that is stunning for us, you know, oh yeah, let's go to the beach. So we can't wait to get out of here and go to a warm, <laughs> sunny, beautiful place like Florida. No, Florida is definitely nice. I still love visiting there. Um, and it's stunning in its own right, but I've learned over the years, and and it started in Salt Lake to really love the mountains, um, and love the just the crisp air and the dry air actually, because Florida is so humid. Um, that was really different. I think I was thirsty for like three months until I figured out how much water to drink <laughs> in Salt Lake. So. Well, yeah, there's definitely a different level of humidity or a lack of humidity here in Salt Lake City, and it takes a while to get used to it, plus altitude. And uh, so that can really dry your skin out. Of course, my wife has uh, very curly hair naturally. And so whenever she goes to a place like Florida, her hair just just (laughs) has a field day. Kaboom. Yeah. You know, so (laughs) I totally get it. Back to the mountains. Just one more thing about the mountains. I also love the mountains. And I mean... There are very few ranges that are more spectacular than the Alps. So you've got to consider yourself lucky. I do. I do. I'm I'm really lucky. I lived in Munich for a really long time uh, before kind of studying in Switzerland and, and starting that part of my career. So I've been lucky in the last 15 years to be surrounded by the mountains. But in between, I was... I was in the Appalachians near um, in North Carolina for a couple of years. And it, they don't even compared to the Rockies or the Alps. So I, I kind of like the ma- majesty and the kind of shock factor that the the Rockies and the Alps have. They almost look like CGI to me because they're, they're so perfect. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because there are sometimes I'm out for a walk with my wife or something and the way the sun is hitting the mountains, it almost looks like a painting. Like, yeah. oh, like this looks staged. It doesn't really look like a actual real world view. I mean, it, it, it can't be. So I, it's funny that you mentioned that. Okay, back to <laughs> logistics. Back to Let's logistics. go back to logistics. So you become an assistant venue logistics manager. Mm-hmm. What venue? I was at the ice sheet at Ogden, and that was curling. All right. Curling is so awesome because just yesterday <laughs> we published a podcast of um, – Robert Richardson and his wife, Silvana, who were at the ice sheet at Ogden as well. And it was all about curling. So, I mean, can I the timing be any better? It, but I can't wait to listen to it. <laughs> it's awesome. It's a long one, I will say. 
I don't say it disparagingly, but right. it's just like sitting in your grandparents' living room and just hearing them tell stories for an hour and a half. Uh, I I loved it. I, I had a great time. So you were at the ice sheet at Ogden. I now, um, when did you actually deploy the venue? You come here to the mm-hmm. Wells Fargo building or American Stores Tower in August of 2001. You work there for a little while, and then you actually go out to work on the venue itself. I think our test event was sometime in November and we were still in the headquarters office then. And then we moved out shortly right around there, I think in November. So I wasn't in the headquarters very often, very much, maybe, maybe four to six months. And then I remember just being at the venue. So in my trailer, (laughs) So you're hanging out in your trailer in the logistics compound, (laughs) just having a great old time. Why don't you give us some of the stories that you have? I know that you've created a list. You've, you, you've (laughs) done your homework. You are a serious person. I appreciate it. So tell us about logistics. Um, You know, I was, you know, I was a super new manager at the time. And I think I, like I said, I was kind of in awe of the scope of the job. I was, I was humbled by the trust that was given me and the responsibility that was given to me in that role. I remember in the test event being handed a Bank of America card that had a $10,000 limit. And they're like, just get whatever you need. Because we hadn't done all the material planning and we hadn't gotten everything in. So there were lots of runs to Home Depot. Um, And I was also kind of dazzled. I got a car. I had a Motorola razor, Razor flip phone. I mean, I was just you know, life was good. So I was kind of in awe of, of the scope of the job and all the perks of the job. Um, and what I like the most, I think in a general way is from day one, um, the atmosphere in the, in HQ and on the venues, um, it was kind of a one vision, one team atmosphere. And since that time, I don't know if I've ever felt kind of everybody being on the same page and being so motivated. And of course I joined when a lot of the planning had been done. A lot of the controversy had been smoothed over. So, you know, I was kind of lucky to join when I joined. Um, But it was kind of intimidating too, right? Like you're coming in and you're a new professional um, and, you know, you had to find your place very quickly. So but it was also really motivating and I just really wanted to dive right into everything. So that aspect of it was super inspirational. Um, and still one of the most defining moments or time periods in my career. So I try to look for that now in my, my jobs, freelance or permanent, um, And it's a hard thing to do. And I think they did that really well in Salt Lake, the HR department, the leadership. um, I know there were bumpy roads before I got there. So um, like I said, I think I benefited from coming in in the last year and a half. So, but on, on the venue, when I got to the venue, we had recruited our teams. um, We had our crews in place and I loved my logistics crew, we had people ranging in age from like their 60s all the way down to like interns. And um, I had one person and I remember her. She was from Ogden. I think she worked as she would take her kids to hockey practice at the Ogden ice sheet. I think she had like a huge family. Um, 
and she'd never really had a traditional job other than kind of working in the home and supporting her kids' sports activities, doing some work at the ice sheet. And she, I remember we were doing something in my mind as a 23 year old superstar manager, right? Um, putting together chairs and putting up the thousands of tables that we had to kind of put into spaces. And um, logistics is kind of cool that way. You take nothing and you turn it into all these operational um, enclaves so the games can run. And she really made me appreciate that because she said, I've never done something like this where I can put something on my resume and I've never even put together a chair. Look, I put together 15 chairs today. And I, I just thought it just kind of switched something in my brain somehow. Um, and she became kind of our work order manager. She worked, she managed all the work orders coming in and having such a big family. I think she kept us all kind of running straight and she kept us all organized and that takes a lot of skill and patience that I think only a mother can have. And I'm not a mom, so big respect to her. But, you know, I was in my 20s thinking I knew it all at that time. Gosh, I wish I could go back to that time. Um, <laughs> um, and I was just really touched by her sen sentiment and the fact that doing, doing these types of things made her feel so useful. So that was probably one of my favorite moments early on in the venue when we were doing the setup. So I have to, I have to come back to this idea that you come here and it's one of your very first jobs and, and, and it's also one of your very best when you, when you think about the culture that you yeah. were in, but you know, I, I agree. For me, it was not my first job. I'd worked a few jobs before then. I'm just a little bit older than you, but, um, but still I look at it very fondly. That being said, sometimes I wonder if it was kind of, if some of us kind of view it like our first love, you know, like it was, it was so wonderful. It was almost, uh, how do I want to say this? Sometimes I wonder if my memories of it are better than they, than the reality, just because, it's kind of thinking back to the, almost like that first love analogy. What do you think? I kind of describe, and this is one of my other kind of anecdotes that I, that I thought about when you sent me the questions is that um, I think Sloth was kind of otherworldly in terms of the camaraderie that we all took from it. Um, and I, I talk to people all the time and I thought, was it just me? Did Was I just young and I didn't see um, all the stuff around it? And maybe I did, or maybe I was just able to block it out. But um, I think, you know, all those nights at the lazy moon and, and people to this day that I met in Salt Lake are my current network. They are my, some of my best friends. So there, I think there was something very special about Salt Lake. I do think, of course, we romanticize it because who doesn't romanticize or get nostalgic about things that were like 15, 20 years ago, um, especially when you pull off one of the most successful games historically um, that's happened before or since. And um, yes, they had their fair share of controversy, just like all of all of the games do, but somehow they overcame that. The leadership overcame that or they got rid of the people who were there that made that. I don't know. Um, 
but even though I've been overseas for about 15 years, this, I have a core group of people that I've stayed in contact with. Um, we try to see each other semi-annually and we talk about this kind of slock effect. Um, was it as real as we imagined it to be? And all of us feel the same. Russ Yurk and I worked on the World Rowing Championships together and we're like, let's try to create another slock atmosphere. Um, I'm trying to do trying to do it. It's hard with COVID, but um, trying to create some sort of that kind of connection with, with the people. And maybe it was the people. Maybe it comes down to the people um, that we were all kind of willing to connect and be, be that close to each other. So, but it did, maybe it's romantic. I don't know, <laughs> but I, I feel the same way you do. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you um, shouting down the occasional skeptic in me, you know, because I do look at it through a very optimistic lens. I loved my time there at the Salt Lake Organizing Committee. Well, I mean, I think also, and I want to just speak to the graciousness of the people um, that I worked with there and that that I didn't even know that well. Um I wrote my thesis on women in sport and Suzanne Duncan and Katie Yerk and Katie Clifford. They all, I hadn't been in touch with them in years and years, and they all graciously gave me their time. Um, when I came to school in Lausanne, of course, there are slockers that are in the IOC. Um, Tosh Naga, I can never say his name right. Sorry, Tosh, if you're listening to this. Um, he's the head of NOC services. Like, when does he have time to sit with somebody who's just kind of trying to get their big toe back in the door, but he would have coffee with me and give me tips and, um, you know, just help me work through different things, you know, going back to school as a, <clears throat> in my late thirties, early forties, it's a different world, but, you know, and just recently Derek Salisbury, um, we've spent a few, few hours on the phone talking about different things about, venue management and transport. And now that I'm kind of overseeing the big picture, it helps to talk to these people who are, who've never left it. Like I left it. Um, it's really great. Darren Hughes helped me a lot at WAS and, um, he came to speak in my class several times when I was still getting my master's. Um, it's just a few people that, that I mentioned Lou Loria, who's, one of the big leaders at Special Olympics International, we met up at a sport accord convention a couple of years ago. And he said, look at Berlin, something's going to happen in Berlin. He kind of gave me the heads up. And when it came through in the last year, I wrote to him and I said, I applied, maybe just nudge me. <laughs> so that wouldn't have happened without Salt Lake. It's really, it's really a connector. It's a really community. I think it's a real community and I don't think it's ever really gone away. Even 20 years later, we're all still giving to each other. So that's special. That doesn't happen with most jobs. Well, and that's probably one of the biggest legacies of the games, right? Mm -hmm. Are these relationships, the people, yeah. uh, the relationships that people have forged over the last 20 years. And, uh, so Salt Lake just keeps on giving, I guess. I think so. I, I feel really grateful for the most part that even through some of the days where I was like, why am I standing in the snow? <laughs> you know, um, why am I shoveling snow at this moment? Um, 
you know, even in those hard moments, when I think back, I laugh more than I, than I cry. But in those moments, I thought, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about some of those quote unquote hard moments, oh um, shoveling the snow. What were some of the challenges you faced there? From a logistics standpoint and also from a location standpoint, Ogden being a bit far away from Salt Lake City, you know, what were some of the challenges you faced and what were some of the ways you addressed those challenges? Um, I think for me personally, the weather was was a big challenge. You know, during the test event, it was dumping, dumping snow. Our tents collapsed. I had, we hadn't gotten our uniforms yet. And I had a very, you know, Florida way of dressing. (laughs) I wasn't in shorts and flip-flops, but uh, I might as well have been because the snow was like up to my knees and I was in jeans and just had like kind of a a heavy windbreaker on. Um, Luckily shoveling snow creates a lot of heat. So I was okay. But I just remember thinking, I've never done this before. I'm I don't even know if I'm doing it right or if I'm on, I'm in the right place. Um, all I know is I need to clear a path and I need to get my forklift under the tent so I can get it off all of the equipment that it's crushing. So um, that was one of the biggest challenges for me. The distance was hard. Um, I think during the games, I slept more often on the couch in my trailer. Uh, we had some dormitories um, at, at Weber State. Uh, which was which was great, uh, but it was just more convenient sometimes to stay at the at the venue. Um, and those times when I had to go back into the city, um, the timing of it, the staying connected to the venue by radio or by phone, I thought that was it. Really challenged my my multitasking abilities um, and being able to have a picture on something bigger than you know the front of my nose. Um, so I was really, yeah, I was kind of pushed in all directions. There was a lot of trust. There was a lot of expectation. Um, and then you had the distance and the weather, um, luckily during the games, we had perfect weather. Um, but the, the test events, which is what you want, you want to, you want everything to go wrong in a test event. Um, it definitely pushed my parameters and, and my experience up a notch. And I felt pretty ready for the games when they came, when they came on. (laughs) Anything challenging happening at games time? I know Robert told us a little story about a a hole in the tent or a hole in the roof of the, uh, the, the, the covering of the the ice sheet, which they had to shut down temporarily, but any, uh, any specific challenges during games time or was it pretty smooth sailing? I mean, curling, I didn't get to the field of play very often. I was in the compounds kind of out in the parking lots and in the media center and, and doing a lot of resupply. So unfortunately I didn't get to see a lot of the competition. Um, I just had to make sure everything was actually okay logistically and everybody had what they needed. Um, and I worked the night shift. Uh, so we have two managers, two logistics managers. And, um, because I came on later, I got the short straw and I'm definitely not a night person. (laughs) And I think the resupply in terms of the fuel and all of the, you know, the sexiness of, of coordinating the cleaning of the temporary toilets, um, that was, that was interesting overnight. And I had forgotten the schedule one night and, you know, thought, oh, it's the middle of the night. I need to go out and, and use the facilities. And 
I'm just kind of there and you have all this gear on, right? You have your cross pack, you have a radio and you're just hoping nothing falls down. And then you hear that beeping noise. And I thought, oh no, <laughs> it was the, the Porter John truck coming to empty it. And it was backing up to the one that I was in. So I think I've never gone as fast as that in my life. <laughs> so but other than those kind of funny mishaps, we didn't have gas tanks explode. Um, it really happened all during the test events. I think what was challenging um, and scary was the the um, 9-11, the outcome of 9-11. Our venue was used as kind of a testing area for the Secret Service dogs, as well as like the robots they used. Um, so while I found it fascinating, I also found it quite um, a heavy presence um, that might not have been there before 9-11. So I thought that was, I was really happy to learn about that process. Um, and I did learn a lot, but I also thought it was kind of scary in a way that even at the curling, at the ice sheet at Ogden, we had all these secret service people, we had dogs, we had, you know, and I can only imagine some of the more high profile because curling was fairly new in the Olympics in 2002. Um, I think it was the first official Olympics. Nagano was the test or kind of the demo sport in curling. If I'm, if I'm not, I could be, I could be a couple years off on that, but um, so we were kind of considered a lower profile, but we were right behind snow basin at the bottom of snow basin so they used us as a kind of headquarters, so to speak, for, for getting to and from there and housing some of their equipment. So that was, that was an interesting um, aspect to the job that I, I guess I'd never anticipated or thought about. You mean they didn't put in a bullet on the job description, coordinate <laughs> the cleaning of portable toilets? <laughs> And, and cleaning up of dog poop <laughs> in my compound. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it was pretty vague. And I even write my job descriptions pretty vague for logistics nowadays because there's so much that falls under that that you don't even, you can't even fathom. So. <laughs> so, so when someone asked you to describe what is this, what's under this bullet, other duties as assigned? <laughs> You can just um, say, well, you, you'll, you'll find out. You'll find Don't out. Worry. Or, or it's a play on word with, if I can be 12 for a second, duties. <laughs> Some of it is kind of duty duties. <laughs> yes. 12 year old you is now accepted into the club. Thank <laughs> <Right>. you, Kristen. <laughs> All right, Kristen, what else have you got on your list? Oh, one of my favorite things that I could put on my resume from Salt Lake was that I was a certified forklift instructor. I thought that was one of the coolest things that I got to do <laughs> and weirdest things that I got to do. So shortly after the test event, they, for insurance reasons, they had to train a bunch of us logistics managers to train a lot of the vendors and contractors to become forklift certified under the SLOC forklift certification, um, whatever, it was a risk thing. So I was chosen or I drew the short straw again, I don't know. Um, a bunch of us went through the forklift training 
And I'll never forget my first class. I was super nervous because I'd never taught before. And um, we'd gone through this big training and I kept setting off some alarm in, in the forklift because it wouldn't, there was some plate that wasn't connected. So every time I sat in the seat, it wouldn't read that I'm sitting in the seat. And so the siren went off. But my first class was with um, all of the stagers for the Meadows Plaza, the people building the stage, the construction guys, you know, these kind of rough and tumble roadie type guys. And here I am, I had like a short pixie haircut and, you know, I was 23, bouncy, ready to go. And they're like, she's going to teach us forklift training. Really? Um, But they learned and I was pretty stern. So, but I loved the aspect of, you know, a young kind of fun girl coming out and teaching all these kind of rough guys how to drive a forklift um, and down the road, it was just hilarious because people would look in my in my interview. They're like, forklift trainer. What does that mean? <laughs> I said, I train people to drive forklifts. So I thought that was pretty, you know, cool part of part of my job there. Very also very unexpected. Well, yeah, certainly operating against type, as you say, right? Um, yes. Not the burly roadie person, but exactly. the girl with the pixie. I love it. <laughs> I like kind of being against the grain anyways. So I thought that was, that was a neat way to do it. And I think I only taught like two, two rounds because we probably had 50 people in each class and they got like three seconds on the forklift. So I didn't hear of any accidents. So maybe we, we did a good enough job. (laughs) So I do have to ask, you mentioned you took a little break from events for a little bit, but you've been in overseas for the past 15 years. So what was your journey post Salt Lake? Post Salt Lake. So after Salt Lake, I returned to Florida. Um, I had tried to get on different event rotations, you know, like with the World Cup, a bunch of of my colleagues went over to um, Japan and Korea to do the World Cup in, in 2002. Um, and I think I came on just a little bit too late to do all those interviews. I had a few interviews for different kind of golf events. Um, I grew up in the shadow of TPC, so I'm, I've done a few golf events in my life, so, but nothing really gelled. So I went back home, uh, became a recreation director for a golf and country club. I did summer camps, um, different community events, that type of thing. Um, I put on a little community Olympics because, you know, I couldn't I couldn't get enough of the Olympics. Um, I met my then husband, uh, and he got transferred to to Munich. Um, I at that time I was working for Special Olympics North Carolina as a development director, also doing events. So I kind of kept in the event space uh, a little bit, but not necessarily in sports. So I was trying to hang on to it, but we moved to Munich in about 2005, I think. And um, I didn't work. I volunteered. Well, I worked lots of different jobs. I was a librarian in an English lending library. This is before um, Kindle was big. Uh, I taught English. I worked for a nonprofit as like a project manager. And that went on for like three or four years. I did all these kind of odd jobs, not thinking I kind of had left sports behind. And I thought, okay, we'd start a family. We went back to North Carolina during the financial crisis and we decided to go back to Munich. So, um, and then I started working in marketing and doing big trade shows and events. So I started slowly getting back to kind of bigger events, bigger events from the marketing standpoint. 
And um, I was working for Allianz, um, not in their sports department, ironically, or their sports sponsoring department. I was working in B2B marketing for insurance for big companies like Lufthansa or Heineken and doing their trade shows and their trainings. Um, And it was quite, quite boring. But all of a sudden, coming through our email, the Fireman's Fund is one of our sister companies in California. And they said, ah, the USOC is coming to Munich. They're doing their team processing for Sochi. This is in 2014. And I thought, ooh, I got super excited. I'm like, oh, how fun will that be? So I took holiday. I took like three weeks of holiday, which you can do in in Germany. Um, (laughs) And I volunteered and I thought, yep. And that's where I reconnected with Katie Clifford and some other people that had been at SLOC and, and done different events. And I thought, yep, this is, this is what I want to do. I want to go back into sports. And I thought, Hmm, okay. My German's pretty good but I don't think the German Olympic committee will hire me. So I need to take some steps before that. And Europeans love certifications and they love like degrees. So I thought, why not go back to school and study for a year and a half? You're kind of at a crossroads. Let's see what happens. So in 2015, I moved to Lausanne and I did um, an advanced master's in, in sports administration and technology. It was founded by the IOC and endorsed by several different schools here. Um, And it was probably nine months of courses and about four months of thesis work. Uh, And that's where I reconnected with Tosh and some other slockers. And uh, yeah, it was kind of, it's kind of a master's light, but it touched upon lots of different things. Um, And I was, I did some projects with FISA, the World Rowing, and eventually ended up at their World Rowing Championships in Florida in 2017, 2016-2017. Um, and I worked with Russ Yerk. We were both operations directors there. Uh, so we were trying to recreate this lock feeling. And Derek Salisbury actually was in the area as well. He didn't work with us, but we had Jim Wright come and help us with logistics and um, some of the old logistics crew, even BG Morse. Uh, he was a regional logistics manager uh, at Soldier, Soldier Hall. <laughs> he came and worked with us at the ripe old age of in his 70s um, in the hot Florida sun. So it was that part of it was great. Um, and we put on a, an Olympic level event. And so I was really proud of that. Uh, in between that and now I've been doing freelancing for World Academy of Sport. I've had some corporate clients um, doing events in the in the pharmaceutical area. So just trying to keep busy and staying in the events mind frame. And when the Special Olympics um, in Berlin came came up, I thought, why not? Let's go for it. And the stars aligned and it was the right fit. Um, and now I thank goodness for that because all my freelance work would not exist now because of COVID. Um, everybody kind of cut their freelancers and consultants. So I'm really lucky to kind of continue my Olympic journey uh, for a different, for more of a social movement than a sports movement. But I'm really happy to kind of give that the gift of the Olympics to this special population. Um, and it's really about the sport and the ability to do sport. Um, and we don't even have anti-doping, <laughs> which makes it 
really nice. There's not a lot of controversy involved with the Special Olympics. So I'm really happy to kind of be on board pushing the operations side forward. Well, I really like that. You mentioned uh, uh, BG Morris. I just last week did an interview with Phil Jordan, who was the general manager there at Soldier Hollow. And he specifically told me, you need to talk to him. You need to talk to the logistics guy, but he, because he's awesome. So I I hope that we can make a connection there. I hope that we can make a connection there. Well, this has been such a fun conversation. Before we get to our final segment, which we ask about music and food and a favorite memory to, to, (laughs) to wrap it all up. Is there anything else in your extensive lists of notes that we need to cover? <laughs> um, no, I think we've we've touched on most of the things that I've that I've done. And I'm sorry, I could talk about it forever. You know, I could probably come up with more anecdotes um, from my time there. But I think I've covered I think you can hear that I'm very passionate about my time in Salt Lake. And it was a very special defining period in my, in my life. And it's the reason I do what I do now, actually. So, and it's the reason I got out of it for eight to 10 years. I didn't do anything in the sports world. So Salt Lake was so influential when I had the chance to go back and try to recreate even a little bit of that. Um, that's, that's the road I'm on now. Well, there may be an opportunity to come back and do it again. Who knows? Salt Lake may host. You know, fingers crossed. Yes, yes. fingers crossed. And, <laughs> and I am sure they will need someone that is a certified forklift instructor to assist in the planning and delivery of these, of these games. So uh, you got to be at the top of the list there. Uh, I would love to be considered on that. I would love to even make the list. So <laughs> and if not, I'll volunteer. <laughs> All right, Kristen. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Let's get to our final segment. Here we go. Let's go with the song, a particular okay. song that you have. Well, I'm going to be a little bit cheesy, but I love the Light the Fire Within that Leanne Rhymes sang at the opening ceremonies. But equally, at the closing ceremonies, Kiss and Bon Jovi, I those were three songs that kind of stand out the most in my mind, um, probably because they were at the biggest events there um, and the most defining events. But um I don't remember kind of the music that played in the background at the lazy moon (laughs) very much, but those three songs are at the forefront. All right. Well, they're very, very worthy songs. Derek Salisbury, who you've already mentioned, he nominated kiss uh, rock and roll all night. So we've got that on the list and uh, Leanne rhymes as well. And also Bon Jovi. We, there are a lot of Bon Jovi fans uh, amongst the, (laughs) the former slot staff. So all very, very worthy choices. Now let's go to the food. You've already talked about the Lazy Moon. Um, any other establishments that you'd like to frequent while you were there in your short time in Salt Lake? I think, oh my gosh, I think I probably lived at Chick-fil-A next to the mall. But there was a, I think there was a sports bar that a lot of the logistics people went to. I want to say it was called Iggy's. Um, and we would go and watch college football there probably every Saturday. So I went to the University of Florida. So I'm a big college football fan, um, and they're usually at the top. So I remember sitting in that bar quite often watching football. Um, also with Skipper Wilson and Florida and Auburn were playing because he went to Auburn. And we were just 
we were back and forth the whole time. It was all in good fun, but we, I don't think we talked to each other for a while after that day. <laughs> I can't even remember who won, but uh, it got tense. But that was probably the other hangout that I remember. I didn't go out because I started so late. It was so busy. I don't, I don't remember going out other than the moon and to, to Iggy's very often. <laughs> Or there oh, was that wing great, place. Great Where, what was that wing place in the mall? It was like in a little caboose. They had really good wings. I can't remember what it's called now. So a couple of people have talked about the trolley wing company oh, or the wing company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was a that was a favorite as well. Well, I know you uh, people down south and the SEC take your football very, very seriously. Um, it's almost like a religion, and so I can understand why emotions might get a little hot when uh, you're talking about two SEC teams playing each other. So final, final question for you. What is your favorite memory of those games? And it could be something that happened behind the scenes, you know, working in the logistics compound or, you know, working with some wonderful people, but you know, what was, what was that goosebump moment for you? Oh my goodness. I think, well, I'll just generally say, and I'll reiterate, it was the people that really made it for me um, and the job that really like kind of launched me into what I wanted to do for the rest of my, or at least for this rest of my life. <laughs> we'll see what the next phase brings. But I was on an odd night off um, from being the logistics manager at, in Ogden. A friend of mine, um, we got tickets to the um, speed skating and we'd watched several heats and Anton Ono. And it was just so, you know, your just heart is pumping, pumping, pumping. But I was there the night that everybody fell and the Australian Bradbury won the gold. And we were all just gobsmacked. And I don't know if it was a goosebump moment or not, but um, I just remember thinking, this is going to be played over and over again. And it's still played to this day when they do Olympic highlights. And I can, I can say I was there. Um, another moment like that was I was watching the CCTV one night. It was like three o'clock. I don't know if it was three o'clock in the morning. It felt like three o'clock in the morning um, when Sarah Hughes won the gold. And I thought her performance was one of the best Olympic performances I've seen ever. And I've been a fan of the Olympics since I was a little girl. So I thought that was also one of my goosebump moments. And then the closing ceremonies. I had the most fun, but there was such, there was a war of pride and just kind of like, I can't believe it's ending. And I felt, I felt so happy and sad all at the same time. Um, and it was so entertaining. Like there was just a bombardment of feelings at the closing ceremonies. I mean, I still had work to do afterwards, so I know it wasn't over for me, but it kind of marked that end point for me. Well, I totally agree. They, those ceremonies were gloriously depressing. You know, it's <laughs> like, uh, the, like you say, the, the emotions ran the gamut because you were elated that the games were a success they and they were by just about any measure and at the same time you realize that the end is nigh it's yeah. like oh no uh, now what am i going to do and then all these people that i've been working with am i going to see these people again i mean that's a tough one well the universe has been very kind to us christian that we've gotten to kind of stay in touch with the people that we've met there and meet new people that we might not have met there 
but then later in life we meet. So I think that's kind of the neatest part for me. Um, and that 20 years later, I really, I, I have learned to appreciate those special connections, even if it's not often. Well, I think that's a great way to end with that statement. The universe has been very kind to us. I totally agree. Kristen, thank you so much. If people want to learn more about the work that you're doing with the Special Olympics or they want to reconnect and share memories of Salt Lake and other events, what's the best way for them to reach out and contact you? Um, probably via LinkedIn or my email address, which you're welcome to share, um, my Gmail address that I've that I've given you. Um, but I'm I'm public on LinkedIn as well. Um, and I'm happy to to talk to anybody who wants to know about my journey, about Salt Lake and what I'm doing with Special Olympics. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. Kristen, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Listeners, please like and subscribe to our podcast and we'll catch you again soon. Kristen, thank you. Thanks, Kristen.